When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Hello, and welcome back to Soft Black Woman, presented by The Betches Up. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every week on Soft Black Women, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives, of course, through the lens of intersectionality. Each and every week on Soft Black Woman, I'll be joined by a different guest co-host who will help me break down these stories. And this week, I'm excited to introduce my guest, Michelle Mijun Kim, an activist, speaker, award-winning author of The Wake Up, Closing the Gap Between Good Intentions and Real Change, fellow Virgo. Hi, Michelle. Hi. (laughs) Um, our, Our season has arrived. That's right. It is, it is happening. I don't know what the world's supposed to do during Virgo season because we have more Virgos than any other signs. So is that right? I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, think about the time in which we are conceived. That's true. That's and true. It's a beautiful time, actually. Uh, yeah. We're, you know, special <laughs> winter holiday moments. That's right. <laughs> brought us, brought us to the world. Happy early birthday. Thank you. Are you doing anything special? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I would like to be by some type of body of water. Mm. Usually that's my wish for my birthday. Mm. That's a good idea. I don't officially know what I'm doing for birthday. I am seeing Beyonce for my birthday. But (gasps) yeah. I mean, I did I saw her last night here in the Bay Area, but I see her again in LA on my actual birthday. Of course, you are. Yeah. Okay. the money bitches side of the stage in the stage, which I'm very excited about. So that's like my birthday gift to self. Love that. Well, happy early birthday too. Oh, well, thank you. Also water. I look forward to that. Everyone should go see Renaissance World Tour if you are looking for something to do. It's it's a great almost three hours of your life. So <laughs> are there still sk- tickets left? I thought they were all sold out. Yeah, you can always find tickets because people... You know, life happens, but then there's also people who are that's true trying to come up. You know, there's always that mm-hmm. part. So also the listeners who heard my very sexy voice for the past couple podcasts, because I was on a summer break. Um, and I was like, is it a cold? Is it COVID? It was in fact COVID. COVID did get me and I did not I was not by the body of water, which was supposed to be Martha's vineyard for me. So I was <sighs> On the beach of my couch with the view of whatever streaming service. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's I know. such a bummer. I know. I'm going to, mm, I don't know when that body of water is going to happen for me, but 
I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, if you don't know, there's this really beautiful cover, The Wake Up. This is an excellent book. You do, you do know it's an excellent book, right? Well, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely honored to like be a previewer of this book and listen to you <laughs> uh, read your book and, and, and actually going through the pages. Oh, this is my signed copy one. And then I have a signed copy. I have so many copies of your book. It's There's like two more copies behind me. Anyway, I highly recommend the book for um, anyone, whether you are a person, a human being, uh, a brand or a business, highly recommend The Wake Up. So look into that. And then for um, listeners, Michelle is the whole reason why I got a book deal because celebrating you um, at your like, you know, celebratory dinner, I, this is a, this is a Virgo moment. Everyone had a place seating, but I didn't, I didn't have one. And so I was like, where am I going to sit? So then it was a whole thing. And then I did have a place sitting and I ended up sitting next to your, um, editor slash publisher who knew of me because of you, I believe. I'm not quite sure how that worked out. And then the next week, we were on a call and I got an exclusive book deal from your same publisher and editor. So thank you. <laughs> your stories and who you are got yourself the book deal. I don't know. I'm still processing that. How does how do you <laughs> feel? I mean, we're going to talk about some news, but how do you feel? Yeah. Like you've had a book out in the world for a little over a year now. What? How, how do you feel? Almost two years. Can you believe it? How is it almost two years? <laughs> it came out September of 2021. Oh, because it's 2023. I knew that's it came right. out in 2021. Okay, that's where I failed. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah. How do I feel? I feel incredibly grateful. I think that the book has allowed me to tell more expansive stories. So, you know, before my book came out, people knew me as an organizational DEI consultant. And while I love doing that work, often what I craved was being able to share my personal stories, lived experiences, and really getting a chance to humanize the work that I do beyond the best practices and policies and organizational change work. So with this book, I've been able to be so much more honest about the way that I come to this work, the grappling that I'm doing with all the nuances and the contradictions of this work that is so inherent that people don't often recognize. Mm -hmm. So I've been incredibly grateful by the reception of the book, how many people are continuing to read and engage with it. It's been a journey for sure, because now mm -hmm. I'm, I'm also in the phase of trying to untangle myself from uh, productivity and what I do as my job being the sole identifier of who I am um, and really digging into my own self-worth um, post my company and post the book publishing. Uh, so there's just been a lot of internal growth and journey that I've been on, as you know, and your book is coming out. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and you have that beautiful jacket book cover. Uh, so oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited for your journey as well. I'm realizing that people are going to know probably more about me than what I remembered because some of the stories I talk about are traumatic and I just block yeah. them out. So I opened up and I know similar things for you, mm -hmm. your book. And so I opened up to write the story, traumatize myself, and then I close it up. And so um, being that that's out in the world, I'm interested to how that is going to 
to land with me <laughs> like, and how people, you know, ask me questions or talk about those things or, you know, prepare for a book tour. And then, you know, I'm, um, I'm getting myself ready for, for more death threats because white supremacy is in the title. So white supremacy yeah. is all around is the title of my book and what that means for me by receiving those things. Like I know those things are just things, but it's never fun to see those things because there's people who live no, their entire no. life and never have a death threat. And um, I right. will be adding to my death threats. Yeah, so, I mean, I just noted that you said more death threats, right? It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not even something that's new. And uh, I appreciate and um, just value people who are being vulnerable. And it's yeah. a terrifying thing to write a book that is so deeply personal that unpacks so much of your traumatic experiences. Um, and I think something that I've been, I thought about when I was writing my book is how do I not write about my own trauma solely for the purpose of educating other people, right? Mm -hmm. Because so much of our society expects people, especially marginalized people, especially women of color, to be their a resource for education, for their own growth and learning. And I, I hope that when you were handling your own traumatic experiences in your book, that there was also an element for your own healing and reclamation. Because um, that's how I, I tried to approach it that way. So it's, it doesn't feel like I am pouring myself out only for the benefit of other, other people, especially those who are in positions of power or who are more privileged, but that it was my own process of rec reclaiming my own stories. Totally. I mean, I'm a rip the bandaid type of girly. So <laughs> I, I, there's things in the book that I have not talked about publicly, um, but I'm preparing myself for that. So I'm slowly talking about those things publicly. Um, but yeah. it was definitely, you know, there's a, a healing process that's, that's there. Um, you know, when you're talking about how to make the world a better place when it comes down to it. Yeah. Right? So, you know, closing the gap between good intentions and real change. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's you want to make the world a better place type of vibe and energy. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. And that's what I want to do with the book. And, you know, um, there's so many ways that we can show up into this world. And it comes down to a choice. You and I have made a choice to be experts or social justice advocates or, you know, uh, accomplices, champions, whatever we are doing to be out there just a little bit more than, than other folks. And we do it because we value the culture, which is the name of our first segment for the culture. So this is the part of the show where we examine some of the top trending topics, the pop culture and media headlines. And the first subject line of today is Dylan Mulvaney. Mm. Um, she won Breakout Creator at the Streamy Awards. And the Streamy Awards, for people who may not know, which included me, because I'm like, I understand a Webby Award, but what's a Streamy Award? The Streamy Award um, honors uh, like online content creators, specifically videos, like video content. And so if you don't know who Dylan is, um, she is someone who's been documenting her transition for over a year and documented on TikTok and one for Breakout Creator. Uh, Mulvaney also has secured several brand partnerships um, and sponsorships, including 
the infamous Bud Light <laughs> partnership campaign. What was mm-hmm. it? TikTok, a reel, a post mm-hmm. um, where consumers lost their shit uh, because of anti-trans hate and wanted to boycott the beer. And, you know, I think you had Kid Rock like shooting the beer and, and I don't know, setting it on fire, like doing stuff. But this is a proud moment for for Dylan um, because she didn't expect to win. And she made sure she said um, and she asked for people to support trans people publicly and proudly. I think Dylan has been doing an excellent job of that. I'm actually really proud of Bud Light. Like, I'm not going to drink it. (laughs) You don't have to. I don't. But I'm so, (laughs) I am so, I'm not like the biggest beer person. So I'll put that out there. But I think what Bud Light has done is incredibly important and powerful because they could have backed out. They could have gone a different direction. And they, um, their actions and words matched with that, that partnership, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you remember what they did in response to all the violence that Dylan faced? So I don't know. So I remember there was a video. That's a great question mm-hmm. of Dylan talking about how much their life has changed and how, you know, similar to us, like unwavering and the advocacy for trans people and, you know, mm-hmm. like, but I don't know if they ever gave her like security or support? That's a great question. Yeah. Well, I think about that, right? Because I think so often the beneficiaries of even the bad reactions is the company who's getting a lot of publicity and marketing. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I've been thinking about, because, you know, this is something that I think about from the tech standpoint, right? I'm part, uh, part of a coalition, Build Tech We Trust, that's talking about the increase of misinformation and also violence on these social media platforms that are targeting often already marginalized people who are on these platforms. And I think there's a little bit of the um, missing piece for me where what are the organizations doing proactively and uh, reactively when these types of violent incidents occur? Like, are they proactively deleting comments that are really hateful? Are they moderating? Are they making sure Mm -hmm. that the influencers or creators that they have tapped are being supported with, with their resources? Because it's often one person who's in the spotlight in the fire alone. Um, so yes, I appreciate organizations that are backing mm-hmm. people of color, trans people, queer people, disabled people, and highlighting them in their ads and campaigns because yes, representation. Um, and I think there needs to be criticality around recognizing this ecosystem of the digital world, the social media space, that it's not safe for people who are being put out there. Um, and we have a lot of work to do. So, and I think that's even why it's incredibly powerful for the streaming award to happen. So as I mentioned, there was a video and I looked it up. It's all coming back to me. So let's talk about this. So in June, um, Dylan put a video out and said what transpired from the video, meaning the Bud Light video, was more bullying and transphobia than I could have ever imagined. And I should have made this video months ago, but I didn't. And I was scared. I was waiting for the brand to reach out to me, but they never did. Mm. Right. And Dylan also goes on to say, for months now, I've been scared to leave my house. I've been ridiculed in public. I've been followed. She said, while choking up, I have felt loneliness that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And I'm not telling you this because I want your pity. I'm telling you this because 
mm-hmm. if this is my experience from a very privileged perspective, which is what I adore about Dylan, know that it is much, much worse for other trans people. Um, so when Bud Light, you know, sent a message out in April, like around the time the campaign came out, they said, we never intended to be part of the discussion that divides people. We're in the business of bringing people together over a mm. beer. Right. So, um, um yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then a spokesperson said, um, the company remains committed to the programs and partnerships we have forged over decades with organizations across a number of communities, including those in the LGBTQ plus community. The privacy and safety of our employees and our partners is always top priority. Hmm. See, when I hear that, um, my impression of Bud Light, their response to all the hate that Dylan received was was not so much um, that they had this conviction that, yes, no, but we hired a trans person for a reason. We're going to double down on this. It's rather that sort of lukewarm, bullshitty statement where they say, we are not trying to sow division, um, sort of trying to We're pedal trying to back. Sell. Yeah. We're trying to sit down over beer and mm-hmm. uh, uh, be united. It's it's almost like that Together. Coke campaign that Kendall Jenner did. Yeah, or Pepsi, exactly. Pepsi, Pepsi. It was Pepsi. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. Pepsi. Um, like, just drink a Pepsi and don't worry. Black which lives tells, will matter. Right. Which <laughs> tells me that they didn't actually understand they the reason not. behind them hiring a trans person in the first place. They thought it was, well, I, I don't, I don't want to make any assumptions, but the way that I am reading that statement of their reaction is mm-hmm. they want they thought this was going to be a nice rainbow moment for them. Mm-hmm. And when it didn't work, they got scared about the reaction. A rainbow moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. And they had to back, backpedal and address the crowd that were upset rather than addressing the crowd that were being violated and hated on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's just a lot of lessons to be learned from this example. I'm glad that they didn't pull the ad. I'm glad that they stood by Dylan in some shape or form. But the yeah. fact that they let her be in the fire alone without any additional resources, not even reaching out proactively, to me is a huge miss and misalignment with what they were trying to do, which is being in solidarity with trans people. And I love the fact that Dylan called out the fact that, you know, if she's getting these types of you know, threats and viol- uh, violence and hate towards her. Imagine if it had been a black trans femme. Imagine it had been a disabled trans person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this could have escalated very easily to being a very horrific event. Horrific. And I don't even want to imagine it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think as companies, as organizations thinking about capitalizing off of representation and diversity, equity, and inclusion, I want people to think more deeply and critically about why they're doing this, how they're approaching it, and how they're actually centering the marginalized person that they're trying to work with and profit off of. Absolutely. I think um, what Dylan did is she she actually called them in, right, to accountability and action and change because what we have on the bigger picture is the actions and words not matching. So the action was to have this video and invest in it, and we do support the LGBTQ plus, you know, community. but the words were, you know, the actions and words weren't necessarily aligned. So we have a video, but we're not going to follow up. We're doing it for sales, but we actually, we do care. So, you know, that, that taps into what we call performative behavior to the full extent. So were there some wins? Yes, because you're absolutely right. They could have taken the ad down. They could have done an apology statement on divisiveness on the side of 
their actual consumer, which, yes, you know, mm-hmm. anyone mm-hmm. can drink the beer, but we know who drinks Bud Light. There's a higher probability there of, you know, folks who are not from the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, Dylan says that, you know, she loves beer and always has, and it's not going to take that away. But um, Dylan also said that the company's choices did endanger the LGBTQ plus community. That's right. So she said for a company to hire a trans person and then not publicly stand by them is worse, in my opinion, than not hiring a trans person at all because it gives mm-hmm. customers permission to be transphobic and hateful as they want. And the hate doesn't end with me. It's a serious and grave consequence for the rest of our community. Mm-hmm. And so, again, Dylan says earlier, she's mindful of privilege of being a white trans woman, a white woman. Those other parts of intersectionality that you mentioned, if it were an API person, a disabled person, a black person, we don't want to think about what that could be. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, invest in having inclusive influencers, but make sure your actions and words so you can line up so you can support them. You can't be that completely oblivious that, you know, a trans person wouldn't get death threats or right. feel harmed or, you know, affect their overall mental health because that already happens without having a viral, <laughs> you know, no. video or ad or, you know, any any of that. And so. Right. And I also think about the aftermath of this, whether now more companies are going to shy away from hiring a marginalized person because of what they observed and how freaked out they were. Mm-hmm. Um so I worry about that also, that this but was a <laughs> scary moment for a lot about of advertisers. how viral it went. That was free, 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 That's free true. advertising, right? Yeah. So multiple, you know, press points that are there. People are streaming it. The ones who hate it are streaming it and showing it, you know, just like Jason Aldean's trying at Small Town. His video peaked, you know, millions of views and it's racist as fuck, right? So, you know, there's that part that, that, media and marketing and branding will, you know, Ugh, suck yeah, onto. It's so gross to think about how this is the calculation that people mm. and organizations and companies are doing, right? Literally, we are turning representation and diversity into a commodity that companies can profit off of. And as I always say, we cannot expect social justice outcomes to come from a why rooted in capitalism. So with my book, I knew white supremacy in the title would get it banned or would get attention. It's free promotion. The problem is white supremacy. White supremacy is, in fact, all around. And I always, I always wanted white supremacy in my cover, but I know what that means. If there's a movement of banning my book, there, that's a conversation that's happening. Mm-hmm. My book is also coming out Black History Month mm-hmm. because I'm mindful and aware of one who buys books and what books are bought during Black History Month. And I had to think about all of these things because, yeah, sure, capitalism, but I'm also a Black woman who's an author, who's also disabled, <laughs> who's putting out a book. So I know I'm going to be under-resourced. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to be supported fully just because that's how the publishing industry is. And so I had to do everything in, in my power to hopefully have a successful to get the pre-sales that people have to have, which is a whole other like capitalism thing that's in there to sell. So I'm like, okay, well, I know all this buzz could potentially come from this 
provocative title, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is just fucked up. So, you know, we shall see what happens to industries around supporting, you know, purposely ignored communities. Yeah. I mean, ideally, it'd be great if, again, the actions and words match and there's more accountability and they're actually thinking about the full spectrum and thoughtfulness of that partner or partners um, to not put them in a position of harm and be willing to have better statements than we want to make sure everyone's safe and we didn't want anyone to be divided. And can we all just get along over a beer? <laughs> Talking about diversity is a sensitive topic, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, no, and I uh, appreciate you um, talking about your book in the context of capitalism. And I just want to note to not make any false equivalencies when talking about how you are trying to survive and get the message out about white supremacy and anti-racism and all the important things that you're doing around anti-oppression as a black woman who is disabled navigating this world that is treacherous um, versus companies that are trying to make profit off of marginalized people Mm -hmm. with all, all of their already inequitable processes and policies. So I, 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 I think there's a lot of nuance and complexity in the way that we navigate capitalism as marginalized people in this world. Um, And I think that is not to be equated with what the companies are explicitly trying to do. Yes. And there's choices. This is true. So Jeff Bezos could solve a lot of problems in the world, but there's a choice to not do that. Correct. Right. (laughs) Elon Musk can also do the same thing. And so, you know, when it, it comes to access to money, we, we there's things we can do with the money, the power and the privilege that we have that like like you're saying, the example of my book versus what, you know, Bud Weiser did. Capitalism's involved both, but again, make the world a better place. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. 
Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. You know who's not making the world a better place? Who? I mean, so many people. R. Kelly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I get this physical reaction (laughs) when I hear that name. But yes, tell me more. I know. So a judge uh, ruled that R. Kelly and Universal Music Group, or UMG, um, must pay over half a million dollars in music royalties towards the, his victims in restitution and criminal fines. Um, and this is per a variety report. Um, many of you know that the disgraced musician um, was given 30 years in prison in, in 2022 for child pornography and enticement of minors for sex. So, um, and, you know, he's found guilty on nine counts, which is sex trafficking, racketeering, coercing minors, sexual activity, um, three counts of producing sex tapes involving a minor. R. Kelly is trash. Just R. Kelly is trash. But one, we have to think about the complicit parties in this. And so I don't know how involved uh, Universal was in the process, but you have an ARR person, you have a team, there's people who obviously know. So, you know, there's a little bit of accountability that's happening here. But this is specifically to the black men who choose to support R. Kelly in 2023. Y'all are trash. And um, I say that with, with love because... R. Kelly not only did stuff to minors, but primarily, you know, women of color. And so if you're listening to the music because you're like, I don't care. These songs are part of my life or whatever and separating the art and the music. This is someone who's still making money from any streaming that you have. And I enter you're like, streaming is not enough. Well, guess what? He's still doing similar things in prison from a distance. That's all reported to individuals. And so particularly black men who choose to support a black man who's caused harm to black women and other women of color, you are making a choice and you're leaning into upholding this value of, um, you know, celebrity or this status or this person can be above the law and, you know, their parents let them be with him or, you know, they made a choice or whatever. Anytime, anytime, Anything is happening with a minor. They have no idea what they're doing. Just think about when you were 13 and 15. You were just like trying to be cool or fit in or you didn't like people. Like you don't know what's happening at all. So anyway, I despise R. Kelly. I think he's trash and all the other pedophiles 
um, like him. And uh, if you haven't heard enough to say, like, maybe I should stop listening to the remix of Ignition, maybe this is your sign to do it today. Yeah, I, this is so I mean, there's been so many, so many different conversations around R. Kelly and not only R. Kelly, but just how we move together in mm-hmm. um, situations where harm happens, violence happens, and what it means to be what it means to be practicing accountability um, as a society, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just so much complexity in how we deal with this level of violence. Um, I've heard things like what you just said, separating the art from the artist that happened with Chris Brown that happened with R Kelly that happened with, that happens with Michael so many Jackson. people Michael Jackson mm-hmm. yes and there's also conversations around you know um us being extra punitive towards people of color and black men especially mm-hmm. when there are all these other white rapists and pedophiles that are also um out there who we are not paying attention to and um we got Weinstein I, <laughs> That's yes, Harvey Weinstein to to but Trump is still an out example, there, so, right? Yeah. So, and there are so many different levels of dif- uh, violence that don't even get any attention because it is so part of our culture and it just permeates throughout our lives. And I think something that I feel really exasperated by is how, in our legal system, the only way that we get quote unquote, justice is through money. Mm-hmm. And I recall um, a time in my life where I had an option to sue my employer. And the trade-off for me in that moment was to sue and get money if I win or they settle in exchange for my silence. Mm-hmm. I had to sign an NDA in exchange for um, the settlement. And I actually decided to not do that. And I felt so helpless in that system. I talked to the lawyer who said, I, who told me who I want, what I really wanted in those, in this moment was I wanted a sincere apology. I wanted policy changes. I Mm -hmm. wanted the culture to transform so that the harm doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. My lawyer told me, you cannot expect that. All you can expect in situations like this is money. This Mm -hmm. is the language of apology. This is the language of accountability in our society today. And so either you take it and do whatever you you want to with your life with this money, or you don't pursue the lawsuit at all um, because an apology is not going to come. And I remember feeling so disheartened by those choices. Mm -hmm. And I imagine some people are celebrating this R. Kelly uh, settlement, right? The, The payout that is going out to the victims. And I think about what could possibly bring back the lives that were lost that couldn't be lived because people are now forever traumatized. And what are societies continuing to do by only having punitive justice as a form of accountability in the society? And so I don't know, like, I don't know what's going to bring healing. That's really what's front and center for me is what's going to bring healing to the victims as a survivor myself of sexual violence. um, 
I hope we don't forget them in this discourse about the person who caused harm, um, that we don't forget people who have been harmed in irreparable ways and how we can create conditions so that that violence doesn't happen again. And I don't think putting one person in a jail cell is going to necessarily solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, accountability means different things to a lot of different people. Um, and it's a it's a complex issue. It's a complex issue. And I don't, I'm not quite ready to be, you know, celebrating this payout <laughs> because I don't think it will ever be enough. Um, anything in monetary value will ever be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hope that we're thinking about as a society rather than removing what we believe to be one, two bad apples. Um, how do we actually shift the culture so that this type of violence never happens again in any scale? Yeah. Well, one, thank you for sharing with everyone that you are a survivor, which is important. It's really interesting because you can say like, oh, well, it's only half a million. Some people may think, well, it should have been more. But no amount of money, as you're saying, can repair the experience or trauma, what that means for relationships or intimacy, however that looks like for friends, partners, you know, for those individuals. There's a a lot there. And, and some people could see the outcome of that on the in the different docs, documentaries and things that came out. It is, it's just, I feel that there's, okay, story time. So I was, I did a, spoke at a really big conference, um, this really big company and um, they were doing karaoke the night before the, the big, the talk I had to do, my fireside chat and, and um, they invited me. And so everyone's going up and singing songs and doing stuff. And a group of people chose to sing, I Believe I Can Fly. And I was like, hmm, that's a choice mm-hmm. to do that, right? Because it was after he was found guilty. This was last year. And so uh, I mentioned to whoever's around me, I was like, this is not, a, this is not the look you should go for. Like, I'm surprised the song is, is you know, being sung right now. And someone said to me, that they were triggered because they were sexually abused as a child. So hearing that song meant they heard R. Kelly, which meant it brought up their stuff that they have. And so, you know me, I did my little fireside chat. And I was asked a question about like, I don't know, something diversity, accountability, role modeling. And I was like, well, for example, last night song, people were singing and I wouldn't recommend that as a company. But you also never know who that's going to trigger or traumatize. And now some people are like, well, everyone can be triggered by every single thing. But again, we have a choice. Everyone knows what R. Kelly did. And so it's not hard to say, like, at this work event, we're not going to play R. Kelly. Like, can't do it. Just so people can be comfortable. And I think that's the, the part where people get stuck. It's like, again, like you're saying earlier, separate the, the art from the artist and, and vice versa. But I think one way, unlike someone sitting in a jail that doesn't necessarily have accountability because they could come out and keep doing the same thing, which we see happen over and over again instead of actual, like, you know, recovery and education and rehabilitation and therapy. And, you know, because every person is a person and there's better examples in different countries that do a better example of that mm-hmm. to rehab someone. But I do feel that that's a way in which, you know, they're so connected to their art. And if we aren't celebrating their art, I think that's where they 
maybe can have a shift or a moment of change of like, I did this to myself. How am I working on myself? How am I going to hold myself accountable moving forward? Because that art, whatever that, that form or medium is, is so important to them. I think you're bringing up a uh, really good point about how we shift where we put our focus on. I, I think it's less about punishing R. Kelly as much as it is about centering those who may have already experienced mm -hmm. some sort of sexual violence who are going to be harmed by the reminder and the imagery of somebody who just caused similar harm, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if we continue to shift our energy towards creating the conditions where people can heal, I think we can very naturally and organically create a culture of accountability and also a culture where we can take care of one another. You know, mm -hmm. when people say things like, everything could be triggering to anyone, um, I think that's such a lazy response because mm -hmm. that is not true, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain things that we know can trigger people when it comes to forms of violence, that whether that is racism, sexism, transphobia, uh, ableism, white supremacy, all of the above, there are very particular things that we could be on the lookout for. And we may not know the full list of things that could trigger people, but when we come across something that is obviously a source of activation for people in a negative way, then like you said, we have a choice in what to do with that information, right? Mm -hmm. I chose not to watch Beef for a similar reason. I Same. Yeah. Re because one of the cast members is a known, um, you know, a, perpetra a perpetrator of violence and who has said some really awful anti-Black things about Black femmes. And I think that my choice in that moment was, oh, I heard the show was so beautifully done in telling AAPI stories and nuanced stories that don't exist on screen these days. But at the same time, because of my work that, you know, and my values around being in solidarity with Black folks, Black women, but also because of me being triggered uh, as a survivor, I just couldn't separate the mm -hmm. art from the artist. Mm -hmm. And that was my individual choice. And I went on to say that I, I am not going to go around shaming people who are choosing to watch it because it's their choice. Totally. But what I am going to do is have people have a moment of reflection on, on their choices and their set of values and what their choices signify in these moments when there is a choice involved and who and what they are trading off and negating in these moments and mm -hmm. just sitting with it, you know, at the very least, just sitting with it rather than saying something like, well, everything's a trigger. So I might as well not care because I think that's a very lazy response to a very complex problem that we have in society. Incredibly lazy. Like on so many levels. I mean, I know I came in hot and hard and like black people, black men in particular need to stop defending R. Kelly and I, I won't. I stand by that. But it's, a, it's, a same, it's um, it's it's the it's the same thing because similar thing to beef. So beef also heard it's beautiful. AAPI leads, big deal and important. But you, as an AAPI person, you're like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna support this. Like I don't have it in me to support it. 
you know, and again, that is coming back from uh, making a choice. So what choice, what choice will be made? There was, um, I was at an event and people were passing around this meme um, that had pictures of different uh, male artists and like one person had to go. And one was R. Kelly and one was Chris Brown and maybe like Usher or someone else. I don't know. And all the black men were just like, mm. oh, I found it. Drake, Usher, Lil Wayne, Chris Brown, Tupac, and R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. So one of them and all of their music has to go. And everyone was saying like anyone but like Chris Brown or R. Kelly, black men. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, listen, okay. Some people were saying Tupac would have to go. And I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand this logic that's coming up. But it to me, it was just like very illuminating with how two black men have been known to harm women of color and black women. But that doesn't matter because I really love this one song, <laughs> like you know, or their catalog of music. And so again, it really comes back to the theme that we're having accidentally in this episode of of choice. Mm -hmm. How are you showing? How are you showing? We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Let's do something fun. It's the 50th anniversary of hip hop this Ooh. year. I know. So for those of you who don't know, um, there was a little kid, her name is Cindy, and she's having like a back to school party. And she asked her brother to like play the music at the party. Um, her name was Cindy. Her brother's name is Clive. And Clive is now known as DJ Cool Herc. Played two copies of the record at the same time, looping percussion and insert hip hop in the mm. Bronx. I'm a hip hop head. I'm into it. I love it. Pivotal moments in my life. Soundtracks, blah, blah, blah. All of the things. Do you have a favorite lyricist or rapper or song? I have an affinity towards things that came out in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> so I listened to a lot of um, Erica Badu. I listened to mm-hmm. a lot of Alicia Keys, mm-hmm. um, of course, Beyonce and Destiny's Child. <laughs> um, and 
you know, I used to, I used to, um, I used to dance hip hop. I don't know if you knew that about me. <laughs> Definitely did so not. That's but how it seems I like we're going to have a dance battle the next time we see oh, each other. Oh, no, no, no. All I can do now is Zumba. So that's <laughs> all I can do. <laughs> I did that too. And I, I had a wonderful time with Zumba. Mm-hmm. And I just think about the influence hip hop has had on so many people and so many communities. Um, and just, just how often also we forget the origin and uh, the criticality that needs to be there when we're thinking about music as a genre, like hip hop as a genre. Um, I recently saw not to not to make this great news negative. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a video of the Republican presidential candidate Vivek oh, um, and Eminem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that video. Lose yourself. Yeah. And just just the incredible irony of that moment uh, and just how the audacity for someone who is so anti all things liberation for marginalized people, especially black people and people of color, um, the audacity for him to rap and call himself a rapper. Um yeah, just so I, I'm thinking about that as we celebrate 50 years of hip hop. I'm also thinking about just how often this incredible art form mm-hmm. and cultural phenomenon gets co opted and uh, cultural appropriation appropriated. Yes. I mean, I can't tell you how many. It's like, a fine line. Fine line for sure. Yeah. I went to see Drake. I don't know what I'm saying. Like, it was not a great show for me, but I've gone to great shows for Drake. And I, every like hip hop show, rap show that I go to, where I sit, I tend to be around white people. So what I mm. do is see who's going to say the N-word. Oh, no. Yeah. So I'll just do a little scan, just a little scan. And, you know, there's people who feel very comfortable, very entitled to do that. But, you know, we have um, appropriation from uh, uh, the influence hip hop has had on on just overall culture, fashion all genres of the music industry and seeing how white dominant culture will try to, you know, just take it. I think of like Dapper Dan and how he had so many iconic fashions in the eighties and nineties. Well, I mean, he still does now um, for, you know, hip hop and R and B individuals. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, he was able to work with luxury brands, even though he had been creating stuff that they've been stealing for years. So whole Logomania is all because of him. Like he designed mm. Logomania, right? That so many of these brands uh, profit off of now. And so 50 years is definitely impressive, but that's like, you know, 50 years of people trying to be cool like us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> the community, true. like, you know, <laughs> hip hop culture has has brought in. It's, it's definitely yeah. transformed some of the songs the kids listen to. I don't fully get, but... um. You know, we are now of the age where those songs that we love so much in the 90s, early 2000s are being sampled. So we mm. um, get to have <laughs> those moments. And we're like, oh, have you heard this song? And I was like, yeah, I did. In 2001. I heard it. Yeah. heard it in 2001. Um, I, Beyonce is one of my favorite rappers, but um, uh, Common and Jay-Z. Jay-Z, yes. Yeah. yeah. Jay-Z mm-hmm. was a big deal for me. I grew up in Sacramento, California. So we 
our music was always delayed, but there was this one late night hip hop show that would play East Coast hip hop that I would stay up for and listen to. And that's how I learned about like Jay-Z and like Mob Deep and all these other individuals. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, when I grow up, I'm going to drive a Yukon Denali and I'm going to listen to my music really loud and I'm going to lean back and I'm just going to run the streets. <laughs> Like, and sometimes I still think that <laughs> I do not have a Denali, but sometimes I do. It's not too like, late. It's happened. It's <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, another anniversary we have this week is it's the 60th anniversary of the MLK's um, Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. So six decades ago, um, around 250,000 people gathered at the Lincoln Memorial. It was the March on Washington to hear this talk. Um, this past Saturday, tens of thousands of people gathered to, you know, deal with the fact that uh, America slid backwards and, you know, just really into hatred and bigotry and all the fun things. Uh, the big difference is that even though it was a smaller crowd size, there was more women speaking at the 60th anniversary. There's only one woman who spoke, <laughs> mm. you know, 60 years ago. I have a dream. Um, America has a problem. Again, I'm very fresh from Beyonce. Oh, it does? <laughs> America has a problem. <laughs> it's not Beyonce. It's white supremacy. It's definitely white supremacy. And so you think about 60 years ago, my mom was clearly living. And, I'm, and I think about where we are now. Sometimes I'm like, wow, this is really great. Wow, this is not. <laughs> you know, it's like this wave of feelings and emotions. I, I think all of that is so valid. I... I think we have so much to celebrate and I think we have so much more work to do. Um, and I mean, I have a dream speech. That's also one of the most frequently co-opted and misunderstood. No speeches. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> all MLK Day weekend. Oh my goodness. <laughs> all the white people, all the white you people. know, Picking apart the speech and only telling sanitized whitewash stories about what that speech was about and the movement and nonviolence. Republicans. I'm oh my sorry. goodness. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I only recently learned that two thirds of the Black Panther Party was made up of women. Two thirds. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I, I thought that was mm -hmm. such a forgotten part and erased part of history. It is, it's, it's why I started my business in Oakland because of the history of Black Panthers and yes. how important they are to me. Like I grew up knowing about the Black Panthers. My grandfather had a shoe shop in Sacramento and the Black Panthers like office kind of apartments was above the shoe shop. My mom made daishikis for <laughs> um, the Black Panthers. Thanks. Yeah. I did a photo shoot with Fr Frederica Newton, who's Huey P. Newton's widow. And that was like, one of the most profound things I've ever done in my entire life. And I yeah. wore a vintage leather uh, vest that my mom wore when she mm. uh, was a, you know, activist and uh, was on the COINTELPRO list. And I got to do that with, with mm. Frederica. And now when I see Frederica, we get really excited. And I've given her history about Sacramento and added to the cattle. I mean, it's just, and it's black women. Yeah. Right. That did that. And I knew me as a black woman doing this work to dismantle white supremacy, giving my money to Oakland, having it be in Oakland, the history of Oakland. I get to work with the Oakland Roots and Soul as a, a, a partner and 
and an owner of the team. And we have a collaboration with the Black Panthers on our women's and men's jerseys. I mean, yeah. Incredible. I mean, it's the fact that, it, that people talk about this era as if it happened centuries ago. But like you were talking about, it was six years ago. It wasn't that long ago that people were marching in Washington to fight for their most basic human civil rights. And today we are still fighting the same struggle in different reincarnations. And I, I think about how often we forget our history and how recent that was and how ongoing that fight is. So what a reminder as we think back to that speech and also just the movement and the intergenerational struggle that we've been a part of and that we're lucky enough to be in the presence of literal living legends. Um, you know, I'm living in yeah. Oakland knowing that Erica Huggins is strolling the street somewhere in Oakland. Right. <laughs> I'm like, where is she? Where is she? <laughs> I know. I love Oakland so much. Now it's time for Twice as Hard. While BIPOC individuals often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment highlights a conversation of eye-opening or interesting moments for BIPOC individuals in our culture and politics. This week, Ralph Yarl, he went back to school as a senior. And for those of you who don't remember, um, four months ago, uh, he was shot in the head after ringing the doorbell at the wrong house to pick up his brothers. Ralph Yarl uh, started his high school senior year. And next week, the man who shot him, who pleaded not guilty for first degree assaults, Andrew Lester, an 84-year-old white man, um, that, that hearing actually starts today. Yeah. So the hearing starts today. Yeah. Um, on August 31st. So this is, this is twice as hard because we have a black male teenager who did nothing wrong, picked up his kids, shot in the head. We just talked about MLK and the 60th anniversary. We're in 2023, shot in the head for just and someone saying, oh, no, this is not the right address, uh, is going back to high school, is back in high school, senior year, shot in the head, senior year. And it's not just that. It's also the pressure of, and now everyone knows who Ralph Yarl is. And having to navigate, you know, this senior year. So, <sighs> yeah. It's heavy. I... I'm first and foremost so glad that he's alive. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine the kinds of trauma, both physical and emotional, that he's going to have to live with. And I think I I I think the thing that made me smile when I was reading that news was how he is still playing his clarinet because he's also part of the orchestra. And I I think about how we so often rob black teens and black children of their ability to be just kids mm -hmm. and their ability to just live as children and to be seen as children. Um, that so often we coddle white teens, white children, um, and we try to protect them as a society because like your book says, white supremacy is everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and I also hope that Ralph feels the love and support and solidarity of all the people who are rooting for him 
and that he doesn't carry the pressure of having to be anything but himself throughout his life, that he doesn't have to be a martyr or a cultural icon or anything that he doesn't want to be. And I hope he can live with as much joy and freedom as possible and heal himself as much as possible. The, the softness. Mm-hmm. Like, soft black woman is the reason we were reminded of that softness that he can have that amongst the status, the celebrity, the trial, the re-traumatization of, you know, seeing the person who shot you, any of those feelings and emotions, the questions that will be asked of him, you know, definitely sending him all of the softness and support and vibes and, and goodness because he deserves it. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Let's wrap up with my favorite segment, Sounds About White. And this is the part of the show where we highlight a news story <laughs> featuring the latest in white privilege. And so this one is, um, it's a difficult one because a white man wearing a mask, firing a weapon, emblazoned with a swastika, amongst other things, uh, murdered three black people this past Saturday at a Dollar General store in Jacksonville, Florida. The shooter had posted racist writings and then died by a self-inflicted gunshot. It happened in the afternoon at the dollar store in uh, Newtown, a predominantly like black neighborhood of, of Jacksonville, Florida. The city has almost one million residents and about a third of the Jacksonville residents are black. The store is located near Edward Waters University, which is a historically black college or HBCU. Uh, it's small. It's about a thousand students. And the shooter went to the campus first and security, you know, found him and they were like, no, we don't want to, you know, they, they found a way and they actually reported him to police that there's a suspicion about this person, the unfortunate lives of Angela Michelle Carr, who's 52. She was murdered um, in her car outside of the Dollar General. She was dropping someone off. Store employee, Annalt A.J. Joseph Laguerre, Jr., 19. He was murdered when he was trying to flee. And um, Gerald Gallian, a 29-year-old, was murdered when he, he, he entered in the store. The sheriff of the area, um, Sheriff T.K. Waters, a black man, um, said he hated blacks. And I think he hated just about everyone that wasn't white. And he made that very clear. Federal hate crime is under the way. And 
ironically, last week, the city council committee pulled funding from the mayor's chief diversity and inclusion position. So there was that. And then um, stupid Ron DeSantos. Uh, But Florida is giving a million dollars to Edward Waters University to help strengthen security at the school. I'm glad that wasn't something that also could have been equally as horrific as uh, Jacksonville. Yeah. So, you know, yet another thing like this brings up Buffalo top market, you know, vibes for me as, as a black person seeing this and a reminder is as black people, we can't do basic shit without the fear of death or white supremacy, violence, trauma. And I have this in sounds about white because this is what white people do. This is how it's important to instill fear. It's important to uh, remind black people that we are not part of the dominant culture. Um, and, and you do that by murdering, murdering people. It's terrorizing. It's mm-hmm. when I read that, I th- just the fact that he went after an HBCU first mm-hmm. because he knew where to find black people. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the dollar store and just the intersection of um, being black and being at a store that is particularly targeting working class people. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just so many layers to this. And to see headlines that are still calling this racially motivated rather than using really direct and clear language like racist or white supremacist is yet another reminder of how we love to use euphemisms and shield ourselves from what is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I always talk about how it is impossible for people to heal when the trauma recurs. It's mm-hmm. the same type of trauma that keeps on happening over and over again. And uh, the black community and so many people of color who have been living in this time of violence, like we are always hypervigilant. Black mm-hmm. people are always having to live in hypervigilance. Like you said, they, we, people can't do anything. That's just basic functionality of life. And I think we can't separate the atmosphere that was created, the conditions that were created to incubate this type of violence to happen, right? We can't divorce this event from the fact that there were multiple laws passed to limit conversations around race, this anti-woke bill that was passed or the conversation around how we teach people about slavery as a benefit to black people, right? Like there are so many heinous things that are happening that have created this condition that are incubating this type of violence every single day. The mass radicalization of white supremacists online. There are so many people and systems to hold accountable beyond this one person. Mm-hmm. And I hope everybody, including people of color, including non-Black people of color, I hope everybody is taking seriously the responsibility to unearth our internalized white supremacist beliefs and specifically anti-Black racism that is upholding these systems rather than just pointing a finger at one person and um, thinking a problem solved when that one person's dead, that actually we have so much work to do as a society to prevent these types of crimes from happening again. Absolutely. Ryan Christopher Palmetter was 21. That was the gunman, the shooter. I can't help but think that he learned from what happened in Buffalo. 
all the information that's out there on the different channels of instilling hate and um, fear, upholding values of white supremacy. Um, We have to think about, obviously, gun control in this country because he Mm -hmm. had a Glock handgun, an AR-15 style rifle um, that he bought legally. He did have uh, a psych hold evaluation in 2017. Still didn't stop him from getting you know, these guns, he's been involved in a domestic violence um, thing like with his brother. So there's, there's, there's this like history that's there. But the biggest thing is that systemically, we're going to continue to allow these things to happen. And when we have, you know, the anti-woke bill and, and realizing that the chief diversity officer can't be part of Florida, and we're seeing it happen in Texas, and we're seeing it happen in other states, and we have trans bans and you know guns this this and that all of it is designed to uphold values of white supremacy so if you have guns at any moment in time you can instill fear um amongst trans folks and black folks and aapi folks or you know anyone who's not part of the dominant group white dominant culture that can happen but we cannot ignore the history of black people formerly enslaved people in this country and how that shift in power dynamic is always for us to be oppressed and, and less than We can't acknowledge the patterns that we've seen over history of when we had Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment, December 24th, 1865, the same year, that's when the Ku Klux Klan started, right? And we also know that slave patrols turned into, (laughs) you know, policing. So systemically, there's a lot of things there that will continually have this be a trend And then folks can say like, well, we always have so many shootings and it's out of control and it's awful. Yes, very, very true. But and as black people, we have an insane amount of fear, an unhealthy amount of fear to just do basic shit because of our history, because of how we're treated, because this is how racism works. And so as we talk about our soft black woman for the week. I just want to remind everyone, especially black people, um, with the Jacksonville shooting to just give yourself some softness this week, however you can find some joy, do what you need to do to get your armor protection or whatever you need to get back out to go to the grocery store or drive your car or go to the hospital or walk down the street. And the list goes on and on to survive. But the soft black woman of the week is Someone who's role modeling the behavior is Coco Goff. And um, there is a video going around. I highly recommend you take a look at it where Goff is holding the um, chair umpire accountable at the U.S. Open who let the other tennis player, um, Marijana Veljovic, Veljovic? (laughs) just continually fuck up and not hold them accountable. So their violations weren't happening on that side. And so Coco Goff got up and was like, not okay. This keeps on happening at 19 years old as a black woman. And um, the crowd clapped for her. Michelle Obama was there and was like really proud. She spoke up for herself. So, so, so happy to see that softness um, from Coco. But Michelle, I would love to know from you, how are you going to be soft this week? Ooh, um, <laughs> well, also, you also just said so much, and I just oh. want to appreciate your 
focus on people being gentle with themselves and being soft with themselves while we navigate all of these traumas. And I just want to remind, you know, all non-Black people as a non-Black person that we also have a mandate to create conditions where Black people can be soft and not be violated. And I, I don't want people to forget that that is the responsibility of all of us. Um, and I am recommitting to that work for the rest of my life. So I, I just appreciate being able to do this work with you. Um, I also just one quick commentary about that video of Coco Goff. Um, oh, yeah. The, the entitlement. <laughs> Of the white oh. person, because um, there's another separate video of her Coco Goff calling out the fact that the white other player, the white woman, I don't, I forgot her name. She was sitting down when she right. wasn't, she wasn't supposed, supposed to, to be sitting down. Right. So and- it's like, we can't sit. This is not the sit break. Oh. Right. Because if Coco Goff had sat down, I'm sure she wouldn't have received the same treatment of We've seen letting what's happened to Serena. exactly being yeah. let off exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just I just want to call out those double standards and applaud Coco for standing up for herself oh, and doing the right thing. Um, how am I going to stay soft this week? I recently adopted two little kittens. <laughs> I the know. two of the three. Two of the three that I was fostering, and uh, I, I did not realize. And I know you have a beautiful memory of your dog Marley. Um, rest in peace. <laughs> I didn't realize how much childlike joy that pets would unlock for me. I'm a first-time oh, pet owner, so just being able to heal that part of myself that I never got to experience as a kid. That has been such a source of joy and tenderness for me. Um, so I'm going to go cuddle my cats after this because <laughs> we talked about a lot of heavy shit. Right. We did. We did. I'm still able to laugh. Still able to bring yes. in some joy. Yeah. I think that's wonderful to have some, some well, they're older kitten cuddles now. So, oh my gosh, I'm so happy yeah. for you. Thank you. I um, You're welcome. I, same. And solidarity for my AAPI community, which we had to do. That's how we met. We had to do so much of that in, in 2020. That's right. Oh, my gosh. So much. But um, I'm glad we, we can have softness with each other. Yeah. I'm going to be soft at Beyonce on the money yes. bitch side of the stage, sitting down, standing I appropriately. I your outfit. <laughs> I know. Well, outfit one worked. I mean, I ordered four dresses. Only one was here when I got back from traveling for work so I had to wear what I had to wear last night but um I, I'm hoping I have choices uh for the because it's a birthday dress wearing silver chrome Beyonce and the stage type of thing so I'm hoping I can be by myself or otherwise I'll be panicking for the next 24 hours but um can you tell folks how they can find you yes uh you can find me on my website www.michellemijungkim.com or on all of these social media platforms I'm on Instagram as at Michelle Kim Kim or on uh, LinkedIn. Also, you can connect with me there if you want to have professional connections. Um, <laughs> I'm also still on Twitter slash X, uh, but okay. I don't use it. So don't follow me there. Just follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram is the place to be for sure. That is it for today's episode. Be sure to join Soft Black Woman Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Sub podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes of Soft Black Woman every single Friday. So be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss our next episode. 
And make sure you follow me at Change Today. You know, the word change, C-A-D-E-T. And follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, stay soft and keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.